This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, guys? In case you haven't heard, Blue Wire Studios just dropped their first original podcast, Golden Goal. The show gives you 10-minute episodes all about soccer legends and the moments that made them. Whether you're just learning about soccer for the first time or a diehard fan, this podcast is a great listen for everybody. The final two episodes are live right now. Or you can binge watch the entire season to learn about your favorite soccer stars. Check out Blue Wire's Golden Goal, available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Prospects 101, the show where we break down football prospects from all levels, high school, college transfers, college recruiting, and NFL prospects. As always, Prospects 101 is brought to you by our great partners and big supporters of the show, Blue Wire Pods and Bet Online. Remember, you can interact with Prospects 101 on all social medias at Prospects101Pod. I'm Kenny Keller, and today I'm joined by Brandon Pastel. What's up, everybody? I'm going to go ahead and say this right now. The Big Ten... It's the second best conference in college football, and I don't think there's any question about it after the SEC. Yeah, I I wouldn't I don't disagree with you there at all. I think uh, I think it's a pretty sizable gap between the SEC and the Big Ten, and then every other con- every other P5 conference for sure. Yeah, I think with this conference, at least you have multiple people that you think can make the playoffs. Where every other league, you're like maybe Oregon, maybe Oklahoma, probably just those top dogs. But there's never a tier or a second, or a third team that you could see where you – which you do have that in the Big Ten for sure. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think those second-tier teams in those other conferences are more like one-off type years, like Washington a couple of years ago, or, you know, you know, always the hope of Texas in the Big 12 that they could eventually get their heads out of their rears and, and finally put it all together. But I'm with you. I agree. I think the Big Ten and, and SEC are definitely the cream of the crop of the P5s. And that being said – Listeners, we are rolling out our Big Ten Preview Week. As you know, we've been previewing all conferences, G5 and P5, each week the past couple weeks leading up to what would have been Week Zero. And this week is the Big Ten. We are excited to get into it. Now, obviously the biggest storyline for the Big Ten is that they are going to an in-conference-only schedule with everything that's going on in the world today, everything that's going on with the pandemic. They are not playing out-of-conference games, which is a bummer because we were looking forward to Ohio State, Oregon, and Michigan, Washington. It would have been awesome out-of-conference games. Uh, Wisconsin, Notre Dame at Lambeau was going to be really, really cool. But that being said, they are going in-conference only, which I love. It gives them an opportunity to be flexible with their scheduling. And like we just talked about, the Big Ten is the second-best conference in college football. So, Big Ten Conference play is really, really, really high level. 
And let's get right into it. The agenda for today's show is we have a state of the conference with Pastel's East and West project- predictions with a Big Ten winner. Uh, we have my questions that need to be answered this season. We have teams that have the most to prove. We have key matchups for the season, fan questions, our rapid-fire questions, and the prospect to watch. So let me kick it right off by talking about the state of the conference. To me, it's easy. It's the Big Ten East versus everyone else. I think the conference is very one-sided. I think Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan are the cream of the crop. I think that Minnesota and Wisconsin are decent, but I don't think they're quite on the level. I think the West has the privilege of making it to the Big Ten title game just to get blown out by either Ohio State or Penn State, because even that being said, I don't think Michigan is on the level of Ohio State and Penn State are right now. I think they're good. I think they're a top 15 national program, but I don't think they're quite on the level of Ohio State and Penn State right now. I think the middle of the pack is really fun to watch. You kind of have your A tier, which is Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, your B tier, which is Minnesota, Wisconsin, and then I think you have your C tier, which is Iowa, Northwestern, Indiana, Purdue, and then I think you have your D tier, which is Michigan State, Nebraska, and Rutgers, and Maryland, and Illinois at this point. So I think that's that's where the state of the conference is. I think the the best thing, if you're not a Big Ten fan, to keep an eye on is that race for the East because that's probably your Big Ten title winner and your team that's either going to make the playoff or be representing the Big Ten in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, it's a good point. The only thing I'm going to say is the East is strong, man. I mean, the East is very strong. And can a Michigan State upset a Michigan? Can they upset a Penn State? I mean, I think it could be a little bit of what we talk about the SEC. Like, will that side of the conference kind of beat up on each other? Can Ohio State slip up? I mean, they almost did last year occasionally, and that might propel Penn State to take that overall spot. So I think less likely on the West, but more likely on the East is it's just so strong in the top four teams that I can see Indiana causing havoc next year and beating a Penn State or beating a Michigan or possibly even Ohio State any given Saturday, you know? So Yeah, I, I would tend to agree maybe a couple of years, like if there wasn't such turmoil around the programs right now, but I think Indiana losing Caleb DeBoer, who I think was a – critical factor to their kind of resurgence or their success last year and Michigan state with all the turmoil with, you know, um, Dan Antonio resigning at the end of the year and then bringing in a new coaching staff with Mel Tucker. I, I, I would, I would agree with you normally. I think this year's a little bit of more of an aberration. I think Indiana and Michigan state are either going to plateau or regress next year, but yeah, I, I do think, as a whole, the East is a lot more competitive in terms – and it could cannibalize each other more than the West could for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So you just want to jump all right into the uh, predictions then? I feel yeah, like we're already kind get, of talking about it. Let's get your – let's yeah, it's a perfect transition. Let's get your predictions. All right, cool. So we'll start with the West, and we'll start seven going to one. So the seventh-place team I see is Illinois. I don't know. There's going to be too much argument to push back on that one. Uh, the number six, I got Nebraska where I think a lot of people might think this is their year, which they thought the, they thought the same thing last year. But I just think, one, they're, they haven't had the progression that they wanted in Adrian Martinez. I think Scott Frost hasn't done as well of a job uh, keeping players in that program. But a few of their better players have already transferred out. I think Spielman transferred to TCU, one of the top wide receivers, a couple other guys. They haven't been able to build that program the way they wanted, he wanted to. Number five, Purdue, a lot, a lot to love about that team. Number four, which probably is a little bit of a surprise, I've got Northwestern. 
of kind of going back to what they were in 2018. I think 2019, they were very injury-written. And with some players returning, the quarterback transfer and Ramsey uh, to take over the realms there, I think that program is going to see a significant rise to what they were last year. Iowa number three, and this is where I think is definitely a debate on who's one and who's two. I'm personally going to go with Minnesota number one and Wisconsin number two, and I think a lot of that has to do with some of the changeover in the skill positions. I mean, Wisconsin lost their best five players last year. No question, their best five players all went to the NFL, and that's a lot of production that they're going to have to replace. I know, historically speaking, they always reload, but I think with Minnesota having a lot of those same players returning in a season, an offseason that, you know, there was no offseason, I think it's going to bode well for Minnesota this year. When any other year, I probably would have gave this slight edge to Wisconsin. Now, going to the east, uh, I got Maryland number seven, Rutgers number six, Michigan State number five, Indiana number four, Michigan number three, Penn State number two, and, of course, number one, Ohio State, with Ohio State beating Minnesota in the Big Ten Championship, and I got, like, a score of 42 to 30. I think Minnesota's going to bring their, their hard hat that game, try their best, but they just will not be able to compete with a team like Ohio State, who is arguably – if not the top team in the nation this year, they're probably number two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think this. I think it's a pretty solid list. The only, the only, I only had a couple. I didn't necessarily say gripes, but a couple that I would maybe change. I think Illinois has the potential to be higher than seven. I think Brandon Peters is a really good quarterback who started to find his rhythm at the end of last year, and I think has an arrow pointed up for the program. So I think they. It would not surprise me if they end up finishing in that you know, five range. Uh, I think Purdue with what they bring back on offense and David Bell, Rondell Moore, and then Jack Plummer, I, and, and what they just, they can do dynamically on offense with their head coach as well, who's an offensive wizard. I think Purdue jumps Northwestern and, and possibly could give Iowa a run for their money with Iowa losing Nate Stanley and having to replace a lot of what they had on offense. I think, I think those were really on the West side, what I saw. Um, I agree Wisconsin lost a lot offensively, but Minnesota also lost lost a, a ton defensively, so it's going to be an interesting race uh, for the West. Uh, the only thing on the East I saw was Rutgers not last. Rutgers is terrible. Rutgers is the I – mean, they have the worst offense in college football. It's not even close. And Maryland's bad too, so we're probably splitting hairs. But at least Maryland was competent in division play last year. Like, yeah, they, they might have only beaten Rutgers. That was their only – conference win but at least they were within one score in a bunch of games like at the end of the game Rutgers didn't even come within double digits they got shut out four times like just historically historically bad and I don't think that you know Johnny Langman Langham or Art Sikowski are are going to even matter that they're coming back at quarterback because neither is the answer they're just dreadful and then you lose. You take on the fact that they lost Blackshear, who transferred to Virginia Tech. He was one of their best players and one of their only bright spots on offense last year, and he's gone. And I love Shianu. I love what he's doing so far. I love that he's changing the culture of the program, and I think he's going to do a good job with the program. I think Rutgers is on the rise, but I, I don't even think Rutgers is going to win a game. Like I mean, they just the fact that they lost to Maryland last year, forty-eight to seven shows you how much of a, a, of a disproportion the program is, even as bad as Maryland was last year. Yeah, so Maryland was not good as well. I mean, obviously they were 3-9. and nine, And then if you take away what I consider outliers at this point, their first two games, which they won 79 nothing, 63-20, to 20, 
against Howard and Syracuse. You take that away, then Maryland didn't win a game all year last year besides, of course, Rutgers. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess my one point uh, defending Rutgers at this point is Rutgers has about 16 returning starters coming back. And they also have transfers like Malik Burrow, Ohio State transfer, is a four-star defensive tackle. Michael uh, Dunfor from Michigan, who has starting experience from Michigan. Ireland Burke from Boston College, who's a former three-star. And then another four-star from Ohio State, Brendan White. So they have this huge influx of not only experienced transfers, but highly touted transfers coming in on a team that already has 16 players that are coming back last year. Now, obviously, they weren't good last year. But if you, no matter what, if you have another experience in that system, that injection of youth, which, you know, Programs that struggle, they tend to do this. They get transfers or they get guys in the JUCO levels to kind of get them back on that, that balance with the rest of the conference. They're not so far below. But eventually you want to start building through recruiting classes, which is what Rutgers doing, you know, props to Shiano. So I think with the influx of transfers, the thing that Rutgers has is the exact opposite of what's happening in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Maryland lost 10 defenders to transfer portal last year on top of, I think, four or five more guys on the offensive side to include two quarterbacks. Now, obviously they have Josh Jackson at quarterback and they have LeGrande their backup who might take over for Josh Jackson. Probably arguably their best skill or their best spot right now is quarterback. Outside of that, with all of these transfers leaving, I mean we're talking double digit transfers to include like half their offensive line leaving last year. I just think where they were supposed to improve, they have regressed. They have regressed from year one to year two. Uh, and Lockley system. Now, I I think both of these programs, by the way, are going to have an ascending future in years three and four. But both programs are going to be historically bad next year. I definitely think Rutgers will have a better year, though. Ooh, I smell a bet coming on because I think I don't know, man. I just I just think that some of it can be addition by subtraction. Like, yeah, okay, you have some returning starters, you have, and that's great and all, but. Like, is really having 16 returning starters on the 129th ranked offense and the 123rd ranked defense like that impressive to me? No. And and guys who are leaving the Maryland program, I, I necessarily don't have an issue with them leaving because some of it is probably addition by subtraction, to be honest. It might be guys who are probably going to get beat out by younger talent. could be guys who just didn't fit in the system that Loxley was running or the culture that he had building there. Like, I don't necessarily think that – like I said, my whole thing is – like, they're both the by far the bottom of the rung in the Big Ten, and I don't even think it's close. But Maryland still beat them 48-7, to and they beat a P5 opponent in Syracuse. Like, I know that might be your quote-unquote outlier, but they beat the brakes off of Syracuse, and, and at least they were competitive in Big Ten play. Like, they were competitive. Like I'll they were, say this, too. They were there. Like at Sean, least, Gleason, Sean Gleason, the, the offensive coordinator, is coming from Oklahoma State last mm-hmm. year. He's coming over to Rutgers, so – yeah. Again, yeah, Rutgers that, has a lot of stuff pointing up. I just don't think it's this yeah. year. I just don't – I don't see him winning. I think they're going to go winless again in the Big Ten. And I think Maryland's – you know, I think Maryland – like, I could make a case for Maryland at least competing with other teams in the conference. Like, at least at least maybe winning one. I can't make that case for Rutgers. I just can't. That's not hilarious. After, not after they only scored 159 points all year last year. Yeah, that's hilarious though. Like our bet's gonna come down to like which team can win a game. Yeah, I think <laughs> like, I think we're gonna. Have to it's make not a bet. like we're like I think people are gonna start thinking we're advocating for Maryland being like a good well, team. What's your what's Rutgers. your what's your what's your expectation? Is Maryland gonna win a game or go win? Like so, you have Rutgers ahead of Maryland. Are you assuming that Maryland wins no Big Ten games and and Rutgers wins one? Like what's your what's your what's your? Well, position? I think you have to. You can't just look at like betting lines and everything. Like you have to understand. Like I mean, Illinois. Who did they upset last year? Uh, Wisconsin, right? Wisconsin. Well, Illinois made a bowl game last year. Like, right, right, right. But they only they only still only won six games. So you said they made yeah. a bowl game. They still had a losing record at the end of the day. They were six right. and seven. So, but that being said, 
Yes, I would say the over-under for both of these teams is probably one and a half, if I had to guess. If yeah. I was looking at betting lines and it was all conference internal, no outside conference games, they're probably both at a game and a half. Well, for our, for our betting purposes, what are you? What do you? What's your prediction? What's Rutgers going to go? In, what's Rutgers and Maryland's record going to be next year? All right, I'm going to go Rutgers two wins, Maryland one win. Interesting. Okay, I'll take the under on Rutgers and I'll take the push on Maryland. <laughs> the push. Oh man, I, I love how we started I, out talking about Rutgers and Maryland on the show. <laughs> I know, right? Everybody's like, these guys suck. This is terrible. Who wants to listen about Rutgers and Maryland? So yes, let's pivot from that and go to some of your keynotes, Brandon, on on your predictions and why you predicted what you predicted. Yeah, so you know, at the end of the day, uh, Penn State has a lot coming back. I would argue they have the best running back core in the entire nation. When you have guys like Journey Brown, Devin Ford, who didn't see the field as much as he. I wish he would have last year, but I think he's going to come right back next year. And then Noah Kane, who I believe had like eight touchdowns last year and really was starting to be the starting running back before he got nicked up a little bit and Journey Brown just exploded onto the scene and took over. So that all being said, I've got Penn State number two. They've got strong defensive uh, skill players uh, like Shaka Tony, and you got Micah Parsons along with some other defensive backs that are probably going to be second team all Big Ten uh, this, this upcoming year. Mm-hmm. They have a lot to like balance-wise overall. You got uh, Clifford at quarterback. You got the offensive coordinator coming over from Minnesota. I mean, Franklin's building another powerhouse there. The biggest thing for them year in, year out, is can they get over that hump and beat Ohio State? And the, the crazy thing is, like, out of the last three games, Penn State, I, I hate saying shoulda, woulda, coulda, but they should have beat Ohio State two out of those last three games. Not, mm-hmm. not last year. Ohio State dominated last year. But those last two games – Penn State was, like, winning in the fourth quarter, and they blew it off some stupid play yep. calling. But yep. that being said, if there was ever a year, I won't, it's tough because I say Ohio State, offensively, they're going to be a freaking powerhouse. When you got Fields coming back, probably the front runner for the Heisman this upcoming year. They got guys like Trey Sermon coming up from Oklahoma when that was possibly going to be a weakness for them because T got hurt. And you're like, all right, well, where's that running back production going to come from? Oh, they got the top running back transfer in the country, of course, from coming from Oklahoma. Yep. That offensive line is probably the best offensive line in football. So that, that offense is ridiculous. And by the way, that receiving core, while they will be young, they might make a push for the best wide receiving core because these last two recruiting classes, it's just been five-star after five-star after four-star for that receiving core. So that's going to be really fun to see how those young guys develop on that team. And, and honestly, wait, watch out for a year or two from now. Yeah. We're going to be talking about multiple first-round players on that receiving core. Uh, but, the, but the trouble's coming on defense. They only have three returning starters. Now, now obviously, they, they only reload as well. They got guys that are going to be in there that are, you know, will be first-round picks that didn't even start last year. But that being said, when you only have three guys coming back, that still causes a little bit of concern. And if there was ever a year for a team like Penn State that is going to be loaded offensively with the best tight end, the best running back, probably a top three quarterback in that, or top four quarterback, I guess, probably in the Big Ten. But you have all this experience coming back. If there was ever a year for an upset, I might say Penn State might beat Ohio State this year, possibly. I mean, it's not in the realm of unbelievable. That all being said, I think you have to go with historical patterns. And right now, historically, it says Ohio State has been the most dominant team, not necessarily only in the Big Ten, but possibly in the country when it comes to conference play. Like, even with Alabama, Ohio State still has, and Clemson, has a better record in conference than both of those teams in, like, the last 10 years. I think Mm -hmm. since 2012. So, historically speaking, I'd be dumb to bet against Ohio State. On the west side, 1A, 1B, I think Wisconsin, kind of like I said earlier, they lost a lot of skill players uh, in the running back. You know, Dope Walker, a winner, two years in a row. One of the, probably the most historically 
best running backs at Wisconsin. And yes, that's over like Ron Dane. I mean, this guy, he set, uh, he set the record as far as a freshman and sophomore for most rushing yards in both of those seasons. He would have passed Ron Dane if he would have stayed for a senior year, but he decided to go to the NFL. So you lose players like that. You lose some of the offensive linemen. You lose uh, Zach Bond on the defensive side as well as uh, Orr, I think the linebacker there. You lose a lot of production on Wisconsin. And where Minnesota, you have probably the second-best quarterback in the conference in Morgan. And then you got the best receiver, Bateman, coming back that I think is probably going to be a first-round pick next year. And you do have a lot of skill players coming back overall on defense and offense, even though you lost in one week Winfield, who I think is one of the best safeties that went to the NFL draft last year. So you lose a little bit of talent like that. But if I had to say, what would you rather lose? Your best offensive weapon, best two defenders uh, on defense versus a, a safety on the other team? I would argue I would give the upper hand to Minnesota just for that continuity standpoint. I think arguably their biggest loss might have been their offensive coordinator who wants Penn State. So, But it helps when you have a quarterback like Morgan, Tanner Morgan, coming back to kind of carry over those reins. And, again, I can't emphasize this enough. I think people might think I'm, it's probably getting old for me to talk about it. But when you have no offseason, it's pretty much like a continuity of last year thing. Like, where did you leave off last year? Because that's where you're picking up this year. And I would rather pick up where Minnesota is at and that team because that team was on fire last year. And they're only going to get better for the most part offensively. Defenses, they got a few holes they got to patch yeah. up. Well, that's – yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. Continuity is a big thing, and I think that transitions perfect into questions that I need answered this year. And, and my first one is, can Minnesota sustain its historic run of last season? And I have serious doubts about their defense. Only five starters returned. Uh, they lost, I think, six of their seven leading tacklers. You know, they were in big-time impact players, such as Antoine Winfield Jr. And then you also brought it up. They lost their OC to Penn, to Penn State. Is that going to cause some regression as well? Because now you have a guy who, you know, and, and it might have been, they might have elevated the next guy, but there's still going to be different little quirks in the offense that the new offensive coordinator is going to run. There's going to be some things that they have to pick up. So it's going to be interesting. I, I think Maryland, or, I'm sorry, Maryland. We've been talking about Maryland for so long. I think Minnesota is the favorite in the West, but. I think Wisconsin is right there. I don't think Wisconsin is very far off. Um, just because Wisconsin, yeah, they have to replace a, ru- a running back and, and a very good running back in Jonathan Taylor, but, I mean, that's what they do. <laughs> this is, a, I mean, look at all the running backs they've had. They've had to replace Melvin Gordon, Monty Ball. I mean, I could go, the list goes on and on and on and on and on the last decade of all elite running backs they've had to replace, you know, every year it seems like, or every two years. So, uh, while Jonathan Taylor, I think, is probably the best out of those guys, it it doesn't concern me that they have to replace a running back because it's, if one thing Wisconsin does is they can replace offensive linemen and they can replace running backs, like and that's a guarantee. It's like death and taxes. So that's my biggest question, though, is can, is can Minnesota overcome its defensive losses and is losing their OC going to be a big deal? My other question is can Michigan find a quarterback? a staple of Jim Harbaugh's tenure at San Diego, at Stanford, and San Francisco was he was able to elevate his quarterbacks to elite levels. And we're talking Josh Johnson. We're talking Andrew Luck. We're talking Colin Kaepernick. We're talking Alex Smith. Alex Smith, he resurrected his career in San Francisco. And, you know, this is what he's been able to do. He's been able to develop elite quarterbacks. That's the one thing he hasn't been able to do at Michigan yet. Shea Patterson's probably been the best quarterback he's had in Michigan, and Shea Patterson was okay. Um, you know, this year, Dylan McCaffrey and Joe Milton look like they're the front runners. They're the guys who are going to be returning to play quarterback this year. 
And I don't think they're the answers either. And that's the thing they need to take the next step. That's what's held Michigan back is they have yet to have elite quarterback play under Jim Harbaugh, which is surprising because they've been really, really good everywhere else. He's brought in elite recruiting classes. Their defense has played really well. They've had great skill possession players. They've got guys like Zach Charbonnet at running back this year who's going to be really, really good. He had a great true freshman season. So where are they going to find this next quarterback? And I don't think it's on the roster right now. I don't think it's Dylan McCaffrey or Joe Milton. So, again, this is what's going to hold them back, in my opinion, from taking that next step. And and can they get over the mental block of losing to Ohio State? They've lost 14 of the past 15 matchups of the big game. So of the game itself. So I, uh, my question is, can Michigan find a quarterback? I think the answer to that is no. And my last question for this conference is, can Penn State make the jump to playoff contender? They have a potent offense. They have a potent defense. They have elite running backs. They have an elite tight end. They have a solid quarterback in Sean Clifford. He's not, he's not great, but he's, he's upper tier. And their defense is absolutely elite. Micah Parsons is probably the best defender in the country. So can they make that jump? I think James Franklin is a top five coach, at minimum a top ten coach in the entire country. I think what he does offensively is very innovative, and he's always, always, always a step ahead of what they do offensively over everybody else in the country. And now that they have a brand-new offensive coordinator coming in, I think that that's only going to make things a lot better for Penn State. So – can they make the jump to playoff contender? I think so, but the biggest thing's going to come down to is can they beat Ohio State? That's it. That's the only thing that stands in their way to me from them being a playoff team. If they can beat Ohio State, they will. If they can't, they won't. Speaking of beating Ohio State and can't beat Ohio State, I'm going to say right now the team that I think has the most to to prove next year. And I could argue, I think most people would probably argue over me that Nebraska is that team, but I'm going to say Michigan, man, because they can't beat Ohio State just like Penn State can't beat Ohio State. It's almost like a buzzsaw coming through through the East, man. Like, they just ruin these guys' seasons. And, mm-hmm. and Michigan, man, I mean, you think about this. Think about this from a perspective standpoint. Over the last five or no, so last six years, he's had three 10-game win seasons over the last six years. So half mm-hmm. of the time he's been there, he's had double-digit win, wins. Yep. And that's only – to say he had a nine-win and eight-win season, excuse me again, over the last five years. He's only been there for five years, and more times than not, he's had double-digit wins. Yep. Unfortunately, he's only had one bowl win as well. He's, he's lost his last four bowl games as well. So you talk about the most approved, just because so much expectation came with Jim Harbaugh to Michigan, and yes, you're winning quite a few games in the regular season. You're beating the, the teams that you're supposed to beat, but you can't, one, beat the biggest rivalry in football, arguably, one of the top ones at least. And you can't win a bowl game. So when you talk about the most approved, and to your point, Kenny, he can't develop a quarterback right now. The thing he was so good at, known to do, the Andrew Lux of the world, the Alex Smiths of the world, what he was supposed to do in here was to develop a quarterback and turn him into somebody that can change the program. And he has not been able to do that. And then if he can't do it with McCaffrey, well, I don't think he's necessarily on the hot seat of getting fired because he's just, I don't know who you replace him with. Like, how much longer can that program accept losing bowl games into Ohio State year in, year out, before you just get put or fed up with it, man? So I think most approved this year is Michigan, and you got to do one or two things for me. you got to win a bowl game or you got to beat Ohio State. The rest is irrelevant to me. What is up, Prospect 101 fans? Guess what? Sports are finally coming back. 
and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. And there's absolutely no better place to start than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Get in on the action on this week's big UFC fight, or check out the odds on NASCAR, Formula One, and even the Premier League. Can't wait for your team to come back? Bet Online has the future odds, including win totals, division winners, and even league championships. Or check out daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet Online, your online wagering experts. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think bowl games are a little arbitrary. I don't put too much stock into winning and losing bowl games just because bowl games now outside of the playoffs and maybe some of the New York New Year's Six bowl games have become almost like 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 early spring practices because you're playing guys who, you know, you know you don't have to worry with the new redshirt rule. You're putting in freshmen. You're putting in younger guys who are probably going to be starting next year. You want to see how they do it. And so I, I think the bowl game thing to me is not that big a deal. But losing to Ohio State is, I mean, that's – I think most Michigan fans would probably tell you they'd rather beat Ohio State at this point than even make the playoff. Um, you know, that's how big that rivalry is. It's the biggest rivalry in all sports, in my opinion. But I think the quarterback thing is interesting. I just don't know why it hasn't panned out. And unfortunately, I don't think it will this year either because I don't think Dylan McCaffrey's the guy. He's I, he does, To me, he doesn't fit that great in Josh Gaddis's offense. And I think if anybody's going to be the guy, it's going to be Joe Milton. But, I, I again, I don't think he really fits in Gaddis's offense either. I don't think they have a quarterback right now on the roster that is going to be the development. I think you're going to see the same thing with Michigan this year, probably around nine or ten wins. You know, they're going to be ranked anywhere from, like, 10th to 20. We'll see. They have a yeah. five-star coming in a year from now, though. That's Yeah, hopefully that's the guy. What Brandon Peters was supposed to be that guy, too. He was a five-star, and now he's the starting quarterback at Illinois. So just hard time for Harbaugh to find quarterbacks in Michigan right now, and it's really, really strange. Now, speaking of – Michigan play at Ohio State. Let's talk about some key matchups. And these are a couple I highlighted that I think are going to be very, very interesting. Um, and I think it will really determine you know, who's represented in the playoff if the Big Ten has a team that makes the playoff. And, and also who's going to be representing each you know division, essentially, in the Big Ten championship. So I think some of the, the games of note, I think Wisconsin at – University of Michigan, September 26th. And these dates might be changed now that they're in conference only. They haven't released a schedule. So, you know, I'm just going to stay away from the dates, and I'm just going to give you the games. Uh, Wisconsin at Michigan, I think, is a big game because I think that's probably, in my opinion, the biggest opportunity for an upset. I I think UM will dispatch of Minnesota. Um, but I think Wisconsin, Wisconsin looked, went in and throttled Michigan last year, 35 to 14, like absolutely tore them up. And I think if they can beat Michigan, it's really going to really, it's really going to hamper, it's really going to kill Michigan's opportunity to be represented in the Big Ten at the championship game because now they've got a conference loss and they still have to play Ohio State and Penn State. So, or sorry, yeah, Ohio State and Penn State. So I think that would really put them behind the eight ball if they lost to a team in the East. If you are in the West, if you want to win the East, you have to go perfect against your West opponents. You have to. Uh, if not, you're playing behind the eight ball the entire season. I think Penn State and Michigan at Michigan is the next big game. Obviously, that's going to be for the, for the supremacy in the East, you know, the, to be that team that's going to position themselves to – to make a run at Ohio State. 
And then I think the next game is Ohio State at Penn State. That's going to be for the number one spot, in my opinion. That is going to be for who's going to represent the Big Ten out of the East. Ohio State and Penn State, I think, are in a tier of their own. And that's going to be the game that will, I think, ultimately decide the East. And then you're going to have Michigan and Ohio State. Obviously, it's the game. It's the biggest rivalry. It's the best rivalry in college football and arguably the best rivalry in all sports. I don't think it will be for a Big Ten title berth just because I think Michigan's probably going to lose to Penn State, and I think Michigan will probably drop another Big Ten game before they play Ohio State. But historically, other than the past 15 years, this has been a game that could go either way, and it could be a game where a team shows up at, you know, 6-5 and five versus a team that's 10-1 and one or 10-0 and oh going into the game, and the team that's been, you know, 6-5 and five ends up winning. So this is a game that they elevate each other. Um, I think Ohio State is on another level right now than Michigan, but still, this is the game. You can't – when talking about key matchups in the Big Ten, you cannot not put the game. And that's yeah, a double and, negative, I know. And I think uh, one other key note, kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, but Minnesota at uh, Wisconsin – I think we'll probably dictate the West division. And the other thing you know about that too is we, if we did factor in dates, that's like the first or second week of October. If we don't start college football, you know, say mid-September based off what everything we're hearing at this point, it's still early in the season. I think really what it comes down to is I would put my money on Wisconsin if it was later in the season, and I'm putting my money on Minnesota if that game is early in the season. Because I think Wisconsin is going to figure it out. It's just whether they figure it out sooner than later. That also being said, they still haven't dropped a new schedule yet. Assuming yeah. all these teams play 10 games, that's now going to be all 10 in-conference games. So we mentioned games to watch right now, but there's probably going to be a few more that pop up because right now I don't think they have some of these teams playing each other across uh, divisional at this point. But that's going to happen now when they have to fill in four more games in-conference. So yep. it's going yep. to be fun to watch when they actually drop the schedule. It is. It's going to be. It's going to be neat to watch. It's like I said. I'm excited to see a bunch of Big Ten in conference only games because it's it's such an elite conference. So I'm excited. It's going to be great football. Now switching over to we posted some posted some questions on Instagram, some fan questions, and we got some good ones back. Brandon, why don't you go over the questions we got and, and answer some of them for us? Okay, so I'm just going to do three because I want to save some time for some other things we have on the show. So the first one being from Mr. Tank Handsome on Instagram, and he said, with Rutgers' recent recruiting success, are winning seasons closer to a reality? And it's funny how we spent so much time on them earlier today. Short answer is no. They're not going to win now. They won't win next year. I think the best-case scenario is 2022 and possibly 2023 because you are right. Like, they're, they've had great recruiting classes, especially in 2021. And the reason that is because – of the whole, you know, assistant uh, coach, Chris Ash, he launched the whole fence the garden, a.k.a. make sure you recruit from your home state, which if you look at what they've done in 2021, that's the most recent recruiting class that's going to be mm-hmm. coming up here shortly. Mm-hmm. Half of the recruits in the top 15 have signed or are 100% crystal ball, according to 24-7 sports, that are going to New Jersey. Like, he is recruiting within his home state. We talked about this show in, show out, as far as, like, it's important to recruit in your backyard, and that's what he's doing. And he's making a motto out of it, saying, like, hey, we will get the best talent in New Jersey to come to Rutgers, and that's key for them. And it's already shown that it's going to – I mean, I think their recruiting class right now is top 30. Yeah, it's like 29 or 30 mm-hmm. in the nation right now. Yep. I think bringing Sean Gleason over is a huge win for them. I mean, I think he's the highest-paid 
assistant uh, coach that they've had in Rutgers history. Also, the fact that the reason Shizano uh, went there is because he made the AD promise that they're going to get – sorry, Shiano uh, – promise that they're going to modernize the program. And, like, we all talk about how modernizing your program as far as, like, your facilities, everything around there, your, uh, your stadium and everything – means so much now to recruits these days. And you've seen it. You've seen successful programs that weren't successful before. If they modernize their facilities, they tend to recruit better athletes. And that's what Shiano uh, demanded from his program. He wasn't going to sign as a coach there. And that's what they gave him. They said, okay, we're going to make the program better, the facilities better, and it's worked out already. They have one of the best recruiting classes they've had probably in the last decade, probably since he left back in you know the early 2011, 2012 timeframe, the last time he coached there at Rutgers. So, yes, I think Rutgers – all errors are pointing up. We've talked about it. I mean, I think the over-under next year is probably one-and-a-half games, so I don't think they're going to win next year. I think with the influx of transfers, it's going to help propel them to winning seasons sooner than later in the sense of 2022 maybe. But that's, that's kind of where I see it for them is 2022, uh, Mr. Tank Handsome is probably the year to really start having a little bit of hope that they can start competing for bowl eligibility. Yeah, I, I think bowl eligibility by 2022 would be a huge win because, uh, look, there's, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. This is probably the toughest rebuild in all of P5 college football. I mean, everybody talks about Shianu's past success with Rutgers, but that was in the Big East, guys. That wasn't the Big Ten. The Big Ten top to bottom is extremely more competitive than the Big East. Rutgers has always been the little engine that could in the Big East, much less in the Big Ten. So, yes, the arrow's pointing up, and Shiano's doing great things. He's getting the program. He's getting more money fed into the program from the eight from the athletic department and from boosters. He's brought a sense of urgency, a sense of discipline, and a sense of optimism that hasn't been at the program since he left almost a decade ago. He's bringing in good uh, assistant coaches, like he's talked about with Sean Gleason. But, man, I mean, this is a brutal, brutal rebuild. This isn't like he's taking over a program that, you know, was, oh, you know, there were three, four wins a season. They just, you know, eh, they've just been kind of, mm, eh, they've been average. They've been dreadful. And I'm sure, you know, I I know Mr. Tank Hanson personally. Todd, I know you know what I'm talking about with just what they've done the past five years. So, yes, I, I do think – I think Shiano will get them closer to winning seasons. But I don't know if the expectation should be that he has a winning season every year with the program starting after 2022-2023. I just don't know if that's feasible in the Big Ten with Rutgers. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what. One other thing, too, man. Talk about coaches on the ascending. It's Sean Gleason. Like, the question is, can they? how long can they keep that guy there? Because as soon as they smell success on that offensive side – I think everyone is just waiting to pull him. Like, they've seen what he did at Oklahoma State. They saw what he did at Princeton. And now if he's able to resurrect Rutgers into a winning program offensively yeah. and, like, kind of be somewhat good compared yeah. how horrible they were last year, if they sniff success, the question is how long can Sean Gleason stay there? Yeah, I, I, it doesn't sound like it will probably be very long. But I don't know. I, yeah, I think I, like, I, everything going on in Rutgers is positive right now. I think every all the optimism surrounding Shiano's return is fantastic. But I'm with you. I think 2022, and that might even be a little too early in my opinion. I think 2023 is the year you got to circle on your calendar as as when you can really start judging Shiano's, um, you know, what he's doing with the program to bring it back. Just because I, they're so far 
in the toilet right now that and they're in such a tough conference. Like I think Rutgers and Vanderbilt are the two toughest schools to win at right now currently in all of college football. They are, they are. But to Ty's point and to my, I guess my point necessarily, like if they can keep getting half of the best players in the state of New Jersey, that's a good starting point. All right, so we'll go to the, the next question. Uh, this is by David Bond on Instagram, and he says, pretty plain and simple, is Minnesota legit? And that's a very good question, uh, David Bond, and I think they are this year. I don't know after this year if they can duplicate what they did last year. I think, I think that momentum is going to carry in for one more year. I think because when you have proven success at the quarterback position in Tanner Morgan and you have star players like Rashad Bateman coming back, that's a very good start to where you were last year. Think about this. Tanner Morgan finished fourth in the nation last year in quarterback efficiency. He was a top ten player in completion percentage for also not only completion percentage but explosive long yardage plays, which is rare, especially in that type of offense that they are running. And that type of offense there's a little bit of RPOs, but a lot of like intermediate routes, a crap load of slants, and different variations of those slants. But the fact that they were able to actually, you know, go vertical in that type of passing uh, offense, which is not something you expected uh, from Minnesota's offense before last year, the fact that they were able to do that without that wide receiver uh, core and that quarterback, one, was a testament to what they, the talent they had on offense. Two, was the flexibility that they had on offense, saying, like, hey, let's go a little bit what we're known to do on Minnesota and start utilizing the weapons that we have. And all those weapons, for the most part, are coming back. I know they lost a little bit to the NFL, but their key players are coming back. Um, now, Mike Sanford, the guy that's replacing uh, Sierra Roca, the guy that went to Penn State, obviously, he's a, he has an up-tempo style offense as well. I mean, think about it. He's coming from Utah State, which we all know Jordan loves uh, success coming over there. I know he had a little bit of down year last year, but we've talked about it before. They were missing 10 offensive players outside of Jordan Love returning. So I think he was a good hire for flex offense. Um, I don't think he can replace Sierra necessarily to the level he was at, but that's not a bad replacement is what I'm saying. Up simple offense, get Tanner Morgan in there, make explosive plays the way we all know he can do it. He's got the efficiency to go on offense. Minnesota is legit. My biggest question is what will happen after this year? Can BJ Flex stay? Is Tanner Morgan go to the NFL with another legit year? And obviously I think Rashad Bateman is a first round player next year so you're going to lose a lot of players next year so if there's ever a year for minnesota to be legit it is uh this year yeah yeah minnesota returns a lot of talent they're great i mike sanford's an interesting hire because his the shine on his star has kind of faded a little bit you know he was he was really a big time player at stanford boise and notre dame and he was considered one of those young and -and up-and-coming coaches and he got hired to be the head coach at western kentucky at 36, and it was kind of viewed as, oh, he's going to continue what Petrino and Brom have done at Western Kentucky and really continue that success at that small program. And then he got fired after two seasons. And then he went to Utah State and inherited a tough situation. Like, yeah, he inherited Jordan Love, who had been unbelievable under Mike Wells and what that program had done. But then, you know, they lost 10 starters, like you said, and, um, you know, the entire coaching staff was was new. Uh, after Matt Wells got took over at Texas Tech. So didn't really live up to offensive expectations at Utah State last year. So what Sanford are we going to see? Are we going to see the guy pre-2016 who was one of the brightest stars in college football? Or are we going to see the guy from 2016 to 2019 who's kind of been down on his luck a little bit? I I, I think we're going to be somewhere in between. I, I, I think he's got a lot of talent to work with at 
Minnesota, and I think Minnesota offensively is legit. Like, my biggest concern is defensively. But, yeah, I think Minnesota's legit. Anybody who listens to this program knows P.J. Fleck is hands down my favorite coach in all of college football. Um, So I think he's built a culture and built a program there that can sustain losing players, and I I do think they're legit. I, I agree. Yeah. All right. Uh, last question here before we get into some rapid fire questions, kind of wrap this segment up is pineapple. So this is from anonymous. <laughs> Would not give up his name or her name, I guess. And it is pineapple on pizza. Yes or no? Hard. Yes. Oh, it's a hard, hard no for me. Oh, hard. No. Pineapple on pizza is amazing, man. A good Hawaiian. And I'm talking like, not like your standard you get from Domino's where they have the canned pineapple and, and Canadian bacon type ham. No, no, no. I want fresh cut pineapple. I want wild boar pork and bacon on my pizza. Oh, that is the best pizza, hands down, a fresh Hawaiian pizza. Dude, the only pizza you should get, it should have nothing but proteins on there. Nothing else. I don't want greens on there. I don't want fruit on there. I just want pepperoni. I want sausage. I want bacon. Nothing but proteins, my man. That's the pizza that you need to have. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a I'm a meat feast fan myself. It's my go to pizza. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But you take you put some onions and some green peppers on there. Oh Ooh, man, get out of here. Come fire. on. No. Pineapple. You what? Oh. There's, you're, you're lacking, man. You like some barbecue chicken pizza is really good or some buffalo chicken pizza. Oh, We probably just lost three fans man. because they disagree with you so much right now on this pineapple pizza. Man, you're crap. such in a box. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Come you on. Let's get to some rapid-fire questions, man. Let's do it. All right, so rapid-fire questions. How many teams from the Big Ten go to the playoffs this year? Uh, I'm going to go two. I really think this is their year to get Penn State and Ohio State in. I go one, Ohio State. Does P.J. Flex stay in Minnesota after this year? No, if my prediction is correct and they make it to the Big Ten Championship, he's gone. I say yes. I think he'll stay. Unless, Even if they make it? Yeah, because I think I think I think the only I think USC is the only place he ends up going potentially. But you know who I think ends up at USC? James Franklin Ooh. from Penn State. I, I think that's Penn State I think, I think that's the coach who goes. And I don't think I don't know. I don't think he'll go. I don't think he'll jump to an in-conference team. I think he'll stay at Minnesota versus going to Penn State. I know that sounds contrarian, but just His offense I, coordinator, dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think I think he'll stay. I think he'll stay at Minnesota. I think he stays. Okay. Uh, who wins the Russian title this year? Uh, I'm gonna go. I would. I wouldn't have said him at first, but Trey Sermon, only because Teague, the guy that was the inherent running back there at Ohio State, he's gonna be injured to probably the first few months of college football. So I think Trey Sermon in Ohio State. I think whoever starts at Wisconsin, even if it's a running back by committee, I still think they lead the league in rushing. They've got three running backs, man. I don't know. I, I, could, I, think, I, think, I think one will separate. It was just, that was the whole thing with Jonathan Taylor going to his freshman year. They thought they had three or four different running backs, and he okay. took the reins. So I think whoever the Wisconsin starting running back is wins it. Uh, best pass rusher in the Big Ten. I, I, I'm a huge fan of this guy, not even from a pass rushing standpoint, but from a, pass, our de- a rush defense standpoint. That's Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. However, I want to give a little bit of love to George Carliftis, uh from Purdue. That guy is a stud. True sophomore, by the way. I said Aiden Hutchinson as well from um, yeah, he's our, good. from Michigan. Um, who's the best? Who is the best secondary secondary in the Big Ten? Wisconsin man. They've got five guys back there that are in the NFL draft players. I said Illinois. 
Illinois, Illinois has, really? Illinois has a fantastic secondary returning, man. I, I'm a really big fan of it. And they have a freshman coming in named Marquise Benson, or Beeson, who is going to be an absolute stud to watch. And, and No one picked Ohio State, man. I thought, you know, Shane, uh, Sean Wade coming back and a few other guys, man. Man, I guess they did lose a lot, too. They lost a ton. Yeah, yeah. Illinois. Uh, Coach on the hot seat. Oh, man. Scott Frost. Expectation. I mean, the guy had a losing record last year, and he was a national champion three years ago. Him, <laughs> him, him getting a, an extra year extended on his contract doesn't change that for you? My, my only thing, man, is, is they don't have another winning season. I mean, dude, uh, I mean, I think that ex- year extension was almost from, like, a recruiting standpoint. Like, yes, recruits – people, coaches on the hot seat tend to recruit very, very poorly. So I'm sure I'm, there might have been a discussion behind closed doors saying, like, hey, Nebraska AD, I need some more, like, stability here because if I'm going to go out and recruit top 20 classes, I can't do that with everyone knowing I'm on the hot seat. So mm-hmm. I don't know, man. You don't go five and seven last year in your second year and not be on the hot seat with the expectation, one, that Nebraska has, and then, two, that everyone had on Scott Frost. So, I don't know. I mean, who do you got? Lovey Smith, Illinois. I know they made a bowl game last year, uh, but I think he needs to show – he at least needs to make another bowl game this year. Like, he has to continue making bowl games, I think, uh, to build up a little bit of padding. If he doesn't make a bowl game this year or they underperform with Brandon Peters at the helm, then I think uh, we could see a change in Illinois. Okay, I like it. All right. Well, as you know, we are a prospect show here at Prospects 101, and each week we do a prospect, or each show we do a prospect to watch, and it's someone who is irregardless of position, irregardless of conference. It happens to be that we break are breaking down a Big Ten player this week, or this show, but it, it's someone we think kind of flies under the radar a little bit, and we think you should know more about. Pastel, who did you pick this week? So this guy is unbelievable and the reason I wanted to keep it in the Big Ten is because I think our next show on Wednesday when we talk about prospects there's gonna be so many guys we miss out so I just want to make sure I touch on one while we have the opportunity and that's Amir Smith-Marset the wide receiver from Iowa yes Iowa Iowa never has good skill players outside of really tight end and occasionally the running back when do you ever hear about wide receivers doing well or projecting well into the NFL well I'm telling you right now this guy is the real deal. I mean, he had all Big Ten honors last year. He was close to 1,000 yards. And this dude probably has sub-4-4 four, four speed, man. He's probably going to run a three, a 4-3-5 at the NFL Combine. And he's got good size. He's six foot one, 185 pounds in his career so far. He's got over 1,200 yards uh, receiving, 10 touchdowns. But he's that do-it-all type of receiver. He's had multiple kick returns for touchdowns. And let's just be honest with ourselves. I was not the team to just go out there and light it up through the air. They're exactly what you see from Wisconsin's standpoint, really. Like a big, really good offensive line. They have great tight ends, which we saw that, was it last year or two years ago when they had two first-round mm-hmm. picks yep. uh, go to the NFL draft? Like that's what they're known for. And then they have a good running back that he might not even be good, but that offensive line is so good that the running back has the stats. But rarely do you ever hear about receivers. So the fact that he was close to 1,000 yards uh, this past year, so he had – this past year, 722 yards uh, on 44 catches and five TDs. Mm-hmm. And he also had three TDs rushing, so a total of eight TDs last year. It doesn't sound like a lot, and you're never going to be able to compare the stats with somebody from, like, the likes of Alabama or Florida or some of these high off-tempo offenses. But the fact that he was able to do that in Iowa is honestly pretty impressive. And if you just go back and watch his film, the dude's a playmaker, man. His route running is unbelievable. The way he goes up and fights for the football is unbelievable. And then, dude, I think it was one of the games – 
if, I'm sure if you just type in his name, it's going to be on his highlight reel. He completely broke this guy's leg, juking him. I mean, like, it, he went left, went right, and went left again, and the guy just – the defender didn't move and just fell down. It was unbelievable. I was like, what did he just do to that guy? I'm sure the guy got dumped after the game after that performance. But that being said, he's the real deal from a kick return standpoint, from an offensive production, from a wide receiver standpoint. I'm, and when I say that with perspective, I think he's going to go in, like, the second round next year. In a stacked wide receiver core, watch this guy ascend himself, not only in his production at the college football level with Iowa, but he's going to be, a, I think, a combine warrior. That's only going to propel his stock a little bit more up north and where he'll fall into that day two pick. That's a, that's high praise for a class as stacked as next year's wide receiver class is going to be. So if you're, if you're projecting him to be a second-round pick – means he's going to be the real deal next year, which is really interesting because if you look at, you know, the receivers in the West, that's the one thing the West probably has over the East is the receivers. I mean, you've got Rashad Bateman in Minnesota. You've got, oh, my gosh. One of yeah, Rondell Moore. Rondell Moore, yeah. Sorry, Rondell Moore at Purdue. And then Irmir Smith-Marset at Iowa. I mean, these are all guys who could go in the first day, first two days in the NFL draft next year. So, that is the one thing on the west side we can definitely look forward to is elite wide receiver play for sure. Oh, for sure. And one of the things we kind of want to mention, like there's no one from Iowa that make it, makes it to the NFL. Think about it from this standpoint. Outside of tight end, there is only three skill positions that are currently – like three skill players in the NFL right now. That's Nick Easley, the wide receiver from Buffalo, C.J. Beathard, the quarterback for San Francisco, and then Nate Stanley, the backup quarterback from Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah, they're tight end you and offensive line you for sure. Like that's what they're known for in Iowa. So to see a guy like Marset come in and, and put up big numbers is, has got to make Iowa fans really, really excited because it's got to be he's one of the most explosive pieces at the skill position that they've had at a skill position uh, that they've had in a long, long time. So hey, uh, good. I, I almost forgot, man. I don't know why we didn't say this earlier in the show. We got to announce our winner, man, for the for the giveaway, the Fanatics fifty dollar giveaway. So you ready? Yeah, go ahead. All right, so after uh, kind of like just throwing all the names into the hat from Instagram and from Twitter, uh, the one that I picked this morning is uh, the 509 Raider, and this one is from Twitter, hashtag Raider Nation. So if you listen to this 509 Raider, uh, please hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, whatever one you want to prefer, but we'll make sure we hit you up. Yeah, uh, we'll make sure to hit you up to let you know that you won. So we'll reach out here after we drop the show to let you know that you have a $50, up to a $50 item comped by Prospects 101. Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations, man. Well, that does it for today's show. You can follow and interact with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Prospects101Pod. We're posting throughout the week. And you can also listen to us on your favorite podcast platform. So wherever you're listening to us right now, make sure to subscribe and stay up to date on all of our episodes. Lots of great interviews upcoming, more great content, more great previews. Make sure you also give us a five-star rating as well. We, we appreciate the reviews, and we appreciate you spreading the word. For Brandon Pastel, I'm Ken Keller. Have a great day.